Well, good morning and welcome to the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Lewis Aldersand, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between tools, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you may have. Just give us a call. Our number is 291-6901. And should you happen to miss your prime opportunity to get a live answer this morning, you could always go to our website, get your questions answered that way. The address is agcoauto.com. That is A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. There is a contact bar on each and every page. Just click the button and fill out the little form and send it on in. There you go. As easy as that. And if you don't care to send an email, you can do a search on the site. And there's quite a few questions on there that have already been answered. That there is. At least two major databases. One is just the general questions where you can get a short to the point answer. For instance, what does 5W30 mean in relation to engine oil? If you just want to know that, you can get a little short answer to that. Then if you want to know much more about oil, how it's rated, why it's ranked, then you go to the detailed topic section, and it's going to be much larger articles, maybe 500 to 1,000 words with photographs and all that sort of thing. So two separate databases, although the search function works on both of them. It does. So whenever you type something in, just kind of scroll down. And again, you got to remember, on a single website, it's not like Google, where Google has trillions and trillions of words of text. So if you put a very long, specific search string it's going to come up with things mm-hmm. for instance if i put 1996 chevrolet impala rear window boom, right something's going to come up but on a small site whole site's about a million words of text you got to put a very small search string and you're going to get something because less is more when you on, search on, it on a small, right. smaller site so if you want to know something about your power windows just put in power window and that's going to bring it up it's not going to be specific to a certain vehicle It'll be more generic information because if on a site like ours, we wrote something for a single vehicle. The people who would be interested in that would be very, 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 very small. Correct. As opposed to the entire Internet. which Looking for, yeah. Some, somebody's going to be interested in that. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, just a tip where less is more on a search. Pop on there, see what you think. I think you'll really like it. I thought we could talk a little bit today. I got an email earlier this week from a gentleman, and he said that he had a blowout on one of his tires. Uh-huh. And they put one new tire on the car, and if memory serves, it was like a Toyota Camry, some kind of little front-wheel drive car. He said they put the new tire on the front, and he was wondering if that might cause a problem. And, yes, the answer is that might cause a problem on a front-wheel drive car or even on a rear-wheel drive car. Basically, if you're going to have three tires that are worn and one tire that is brand new, and, again, everything's relative, but let's say the other three tires are half of the way worn and one tire is new the new tire is going to be taller than the other three so it's not it's going to turn it's going to turn slower than the other three tires a shorter tire has to rotate faster so if you put that on the drive wheels front on a front wheel drive car or rear on a rear wheel drive car the two tires are going to turn different speeds speeds. and so the way the car manufacturers deal with things like that because when you go around a corner the two tires turn different speeds Mm -hmm. There's some sort of a differential assembly with little gears that spin around. They allow it to turn, but it's designed like to go around a corner where the inside tire is traveling on a smaller radius, the outside tire is traveling on a larger radius, so it has to turn slightly faster for a moment. That's what it's designed for. It's not designed to put two different size tires where you're constantly spinning these things, and you can very easily end up damaging the differential assembly of your car because it's just not designed for continuous use. Sure. If you have a front-wheel drive car and you put one new tire, that goes on the back. It should always go on the back, just if you, like you say, if you're putting one tire. Right. On a rear-wheel drive car, it would be the opposite. You would put it on the front, although it may cause drivability problems on the exactly. front. Exactly. I like to change tires in pairs. That way you have a pair to move with. 
in in certain applications, say an all-wheel drive vehicle, mm-hmm. you actually have to have all the tires the same size. All four tail. All-wheel drive is pretty critical to put all four tires the same, which I know is very expensive. It for is. Some people. Let's say you've got twenty percent of the tire left, and you don't want to throw them away, and you get one blowout. Well, then you really have to buy four tires. It's exactly. Just the nature of the vehicle that you've bought, you can really get into some serious dollar problems with that. Let's go to our phone lines. We've got Mike on the line. Good morning, Mike. Hi, Brian and uh, Lewis. How are you guys doing? Doing, doing great, great, sir. Good, excellent. Hey, listen, you've helped me out so many more times. I got another issue. I got a 2001 Nissan Sentra 1.8 mm-hmm. with a 115,000 miles on it. Okay. I'm looking to sell it, so I want to make sure it's running good and, and everything's taken care of. Recently, it started exhibiting a. Now, this thing has been well maintained. The original owner, it's been exhibiting where the RPM shoot up to like three or four thousand RPM before it shifts now it's not slipping it's not it's definitely not transmission related i don't think it seems like some kind of a sensor or something well um, if the rpm are going up relative to the miles per hour and if rpm increase and mile per hour do not then it's going to be a transmission issue now what's causing the transmission issue doesn't necessarily mean the transmission is failing per se i'm gonna tell you mike the most common thing on that by a wide measure is being low on fluid and you have to be very careful checking the fluid because we even get shops that send cars to us and they say, no, I've checked the fluid, it's okay, and we check it, it's two quarts low. Yeah, so, Lewis, I know what you're saying, and I've checked the fluid. The things, the fluids in the transmission has been, you know, mm-hmm. taken care of really mm-hmm. well. I checked the fluid, it's where it needs to be. I did clean the uh, mass airflow sensor, yeah. and, and it helped for a few a little while that's why i was thinking it was a sensor issue yeah so, unless i'm not understanding the symptom about rpm and all that but basically the engine rpm is what the engine is turning and the mile per hour is the output speed and those two have to correspond with one another the only way they can change in relation to one another is if something slips and the only thing in between the two that can slip would be the transmission now like i said unless i'm misunderstanding what's happening here yeah, I don't think I'm explaining it well because it's yeah. not like racing. Uh-huh. It's almost like the RPM is almost disconnected with the le- the revolutions of the engine. But is the between a- between shifts? You know, yeah. from fir- from first when it shifts out of first and it goes to second, it flares up. The RPMs race no. up and then it shifts into second. No, I would say that it just the RPMs will raise. Like the meter goes up, but the engine's not actually speeding up. Maybe. Yes. Okay. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Now, there's a number of things that could cause that. In other words, if RPM are not responsive to the engine, you know, the RPM go up, but the engine doesn't actually speed up. Right. Then you'd right. definitely be in some sort right. of a sensor issue. Something like a crankshaft position sensor could cause that. And they've had a number of problems with that on that engine. I think there's two yeah. of them on there, if I'm not mistaken. There is. And if somebody changes one and not the other, you can get issues like that. Or if one is going bad, because I think. It should be reading RPM off the crank sound. You confirmed what my preliminary research showed on the web, mm-hmm. and I want to hear it from you guys because you're the best. <laughs> one of those, but, but, what, I'm sorry, go ahead. One of those sensors is fairly easy to get to, and the other mm-hmm. one is buried. Yep. So, and then Nissan and, recommends changing them in pairs. Right. Because if you get a mismatch between the two, apparently it shares the two sensors. Yeah. And I've seen where people will change the easy one and not change the other one because it's not bad and they'll start getting weird issues like and this. And sometimes you get away with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it just depends on the application and the luck you got, really. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Listen, can I mention something to you guys? Sure, you bet. 
you had helped me. I had a 05 Hyundai Tucson V6 that I was having drivability issues with, a lot of the same symptoms of this car. Okay. And I thought it was a mass airflow sensor. I went back and it's changing parts, going crazy. You guys, you know, really helped me out going to this, to that. And I had a new crank sensor in there, so mm-hmm. I didn't even bother looking at that. Right. right. Well, I found on the web where somebody says, if you don't use the OEM crank sensor, then forget it. Well, I went, I bought the OEM crank sensor, boom, boom, perfect, everything was great. Mm-hmm. You know, Mike, yeah, so. that's a really good point. That I'm glad you brought that up because a lot of times people will change something with a white box part, and then because they've changed it, they assume, well, that couldn't have been it. But they don't realize they got another defective part, so it just didn't affect the problem. And that can send you off on a tangent of spending a whole lot of money because a, a new mm-hmm. part is not a non-good part, particularly a new aftermarket part. Correct. Yep. So anyway, that issue was resolved, and about a month later, I got T-boned and, and had <laughs> oh. to bury the car. Oh, jeez. So. <laughs> mm. <laughs> but anyway, guys, as always, I appreciate your help. Thank you. All right, Mike, All thanks right. for calling, man. All right, take care. Bye. Bye-bye. All right, 291-6901 is the number. If you want to be part of the Automotive Hour, we'd love to have you. We're going to take a quick little break. We'll be right back with more. Lie back and tell me what's stressing you out, Mr. Hair Voltage Supervillain, Art Nemesis of Good. I have electric superpowers, blah, blah, blah. And it sounds like you're burnt out and stressed about your job. Yes, Doctor, the pressure is insane. My wife's always nagging me about my evil plans not being up to par, melting the polar ice caps, blocking out the sun, world domination. None of it's good enough for her. Uh, Some days... I just want a garden. Hair Voltage, I can't really advise you on your super evil plans, but I can offer this advice on gaining some peace of mind. Bring your car in once a year to Agco for a general inspection. They check your vehicle, perform needed maintenance, and they catch any problems early so you don't have major repairs down the road. Hmm, I know Agco could work on my Scion, but can they work on my G19 thermonuclear urban assault car copter? You'll have to call Agco about that. Get your own peace of mind and schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. Just join us at the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldersan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Between two us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you may have. Just give us a call. Our number is 291-6901. And you add a 225 in front of that. You can reach us from anywhere inside the continental United States Wherever this morning. Wherever you may be. There you go. And put another 01 in front of that. You can get us from anywhere in the world. As long as, <laughs> as, long as you're in the right time zone, right? That's right. We were talking just a little bit about tires, uh-huh. tire placement. And I wanted to talk a little bit more about it. Of course, you're never limited to whatever we're talking about uh, you can always any topic it might be of interest to you, you exactly but we were saying how if you put an odd tire on a car it needs to be on the non-drive wheels and as you mentioned it's a lot of times better to go ahead and put a pair of tires it is uh, at least you've got the two sides of the drive axle turning the same speed now something that a lot of people are still even though this has been out this information has been out for a long long time people are still in the dark about and that is, if you put two tires on your car, do they go on the front or do they go on the back? Correct. And a lot of people will say, well, you should put them on the front because that's the drive, you know, that's the drive wheels or that's the steering wheels. Mm-hmm. In reality, the truth is, the two tires, new tires, should go on the back of the car. Right, because they're gonna they're gonna grip the road better. They're gonna have a lot more tread on. There's a lot less chance of a blowout yes. with a new tire versus a short, uh, well, older tire that has thin tread on. This it. is regardless of whether it's front-wheel drive or rear-wheel drive, because mm-hmm. it has nothing to do with driving. It has to do with stability of the car. 
if you ever looked at a forklift and the back wheels turn on it, right. the reason they do that is because turning back wheels allows it to cut into very, very tight places. Of course, forklifts are only going one or two miles an hour. Not even that, really. Or less. The thing is, the rear of the car has much more influence on the stability of the car than the front does. Correct. So you want the better tire on the back of the car, and that kind of flies in the face of logic. Everyone, all oh, my good tires on the back. Well, the and, and the steering also, if you have a blowout on the front, you still have another wheel, you know, the tire to steer with. Yeah. And the stability is a lot better mm-hmm. than if you had a blowout on the back with no way to control the stability but, of it. More to the point, on a wet road or an icy road, if that back starts to move, it's going to change the thrust angle of the car, and you're going to totally lose control of the sure. car. The front, you can actually steer, and the back is just following along. So the effect of any type of loss of traction is going to be much, much less if it's on the front than mm-hmm. it's on the rear. So the point is, two tires, go ahead and put them on the rear of the car, no right. matter what anybody tells you. And some tire stores will even tell you opposite of that. Mm-hmm. I have seen cases where, let's say we had two tires that still had a lot of rubber on them, and they had a problem with conicity on them where the tires were causing a pull. Correct. And you rotate them to the back, and, of course, the pull is not as apparent. So they're running a certain tire. In some cases, people want to put the tires on the front to make it drive straight. I understand that, but you're actually better off to put four tires if that's the case. And we've got people who absolutely insist on putting the t- new tires on the front of their car. Mm-hmm. And all the thing we can do is tell them, well, that's not what's recommended. I will put a disclaimer on the bottom of the invoice. The client has been notified, but insists the tires go here, and we'll put them wherever you want them. Right. But you have to realize you're assuming the liability when you do that because the car will not be as stable. You do need the new tires. And, and same thing with rotating tires. We have people come in. And the front tires are worn, and they want to put them on the back. Right. But no, no, no. That's the worst thing you can do. Right. The best tires are already on the back. Right. Leave the best tires on the back. If the front tires are worn to the point of needing replacement, then you need two new tires. Sure. And then you can bring the backs to the front and put the new ones on the back. But that's one of those things that really is kind of confusing out there with just the way things have always been, the way people tend to think. Another thing, when you do rotate tires on a lot of the modern cars, they have tire pressure monitoring systems. They do. And it's not as simple as just moving tires front to rear like it used to be. Well, on some vehicles it is. Mm -hmm. Some vehicles are already set up. They have a transponder on each corner. And what it does is when you rotate the tires, when you turn the key on, that transponder looks out and it says, wait a minute, this sensor's here now. It relearns it for you. Mm -hmm. Now, you have some vehicles that are a nightmare to relearn. Some of your earlier Toyotas, you actually had to go in and initiate the system. Then you had to start letting air out of each sensor, right, to take the valve stem out, and let the air run out of the tire mm-hmm. so the, the transponder could pick it up. And then you had to do that to all four wheels, and it took about a half an hour to, to relearn that system. Yeah. Now, same thing with some of the Nissan. Some of the early Nissans, you had to have a Nissan console scan to, tool to reset. Them. Right. It would not reset any other way. Toyota has actually come out now. They have a reset button mm-hmm. that's underneath the dash. When you rotate the tires, you push and hold this button until the light blinks three times, and then you go drive it over 20 miles an hour for a minute or two, and it automatically relearns the system. Now, your Toyota systems... Well, as with everything else, that's on some Toyotas. On some Toyotas, <laughs> right. No. Um, some of your Toyotas actually have a five-channel system. Mm-hmm. So if the light comes on and stays on, you need to actually check the spare tire, which you should be checking the spare tire anyway. Correct. But if the spare tire is low, it will turn the light on. I've always thought that was the best system of all. You know, if I 
have to have tire pressure monitoring, I'd want to check spare for me. Oh, exactly. Because that's the one tire I can't readily get to to check. Well, and they, and they I can't put them, see it. Right. They put them in the trunk. They turn them upside down. They're kind of hard to get to sometimes. And if you had a way to keep it checked electronically, right. that would be great. It's also the most devastating to find out it's low because you can find out that tire is low or flat at the absolute worst possible time you, you could sit, find that out. Sitting on the side of the road with one of the service tires flat. Right. So you're sitting on the side of the interstate. 15 minutes late for your daughter's wedding yeah. <laughs> you go to the spire it's flat <laughs> yep you know, that's one thing when we do our general inspection we always check the spare tire uh-huh. it's one of the steps we go through on the general inspection and it's amazing to me how often these are very low or flat or flat yeah you check them and in many cases if they've never been in to a shop that checks it it may have never been checked exactly another thing you get into is tire age where the spare tire may be the original tire on the car had one the other day, and the tire was about 15 years old. Had sure. a big old deep crack mm-hmm. all the way around it on the it spare tire. And it had never been out of the car. You say that, and we have some customers that every time they buy tires, they buy five. Mm-hmm. And put one for spare. Right. And then, like you said, that you have a 15-year-old vehicle, and it still has the original spare tire in it because it's never been in a service. And sometimes, even a 15-year-old spare that's been on, not been in service will still be look okay. Uh, sure. You just don't know. And so long as you're going to use it as a spare tire. Well, and I'm going to put it on there, go to the gas station, get my tire fixed. That's all I'm going to do. I'm not going to put it on there and try to drive it. Well, and the problem is it does happen. Mm-hmm. The spare tire gets put on, the, the flat tire gets put in the trunk, and it may be a week later before it's taken care which, of. Which should never, which ever, is, ever be exactly. done. Well, if you ever look on the side of those spare tires, especially little temporary spares is what I'm talking about now, is that people will put them on the car. I've been past going 70 miles an hour more than you all people with a spare tire on the car. Right. Dinky spare. And, and it says bigger, uh, big oh, block letters. Yeah, 40, Six, 45 miles an hour on some, 60 on others. Right. And only about 45 miles. Well, there's that, yeah, there's actually a mile 75 miles. <laughs> But, yeah, I've actually been passed. Sure. So they're going in excess of 70 miles an hour on this little spare tire. And, again, like the first thing we talked about, if you put that spare tire on the drive wheel, now you got a whole lot bigger problem. Sure. Because it's a grossly different well, height than the other tires in many cases. A lot of times it's the same height tire, but it's very narrow. Yeah. It may be four inches wide, right. where your service tire is six or seven inches wide. Mm-hmm. And that in itself will cause a pull oh, yeah. or, you know, drivability issues, anything you can – can think of it could could happen with that yeah. little dinky spare on there but that spare is intended to get you off the road to Just get their service tire fixed emergency service is always designed to be it's never designed to be put into use no not long term just enough to get you to get your other tires fixed now another thing those little tires are pretty hard to find in a lot of cases particularly if you have an older car uh-huh. uh let's say you've got a 1995 model car 96 model car which is still a good car for the purpose you're using it right spare tire is in shreds when you go to get that, it's not like you just go to a tire store and buy one. Some of them are an integral part of the wheel, so you have to change the whole assembly. It can't mm-hmm. be mounted and balanced. It's kind of glued together to make them avoid losing air. Other times, they've been discontinued. Right. Uh, the, the manufacturer made it for 10 years, 15 years, whatever, but now you can no longer get them. And even if you could get one, it would be 10, 15 years old. That's right. <laughs> so they can be a devil to try to find. In some cases, you can get a replacement wheel and get a full-size tire mm-hmm. but some of those are not going to fit in the opening right the, the depth of the trunk that they fit in may not be deep enough right so you're going to have some inconvenience there and i've seen people get a full-size tire and just kind of lay them in the trunk right because they're just not as picky about an older car they just want to have a spare tire so 
that's kind of another way to get around it. But some cases you can still buy those little spares. I know Toyota is pretty good about still selling them. I bought one the other day, and I asked, I said, well, how old is this thing? He said, no, it'll be brand new. Okay. And they've got a company who is making the tires for them, so I was able to get it through Toyota. And I went online just looking to see, because I didn't know if the price they were quoting me was a good price or not. And they were actually less expensive than some of these Mickey Moto throwaway Chinese tires Uh they're selling on the Internet, and it was the right tire for the car. But in other instances, like Ford, I mean, if you go in there with a Ford six years old, you probably right. not going to get a tire because Ford discontinues parts after five, six years in some instances. So you got to kind of watch the type of car you got. And mm-hmm. that's not only true spare tires, but virtually almost anything sure. on the car. One other thing while we're on that topic is the valve stems also get old. They do. Those have a service life. Some of your pull-in stems, your rubber pull-in stems with the tires monitors on the back of them, dry rot just like tire wheel, mm-hmm. just like the older valve stems did. Now you have the, the bolt-in ones that had the little silver nut on the outside. Right. Those, they tend to fare fairly well. Corrosion kind of gets to those before they'll rupture. Well, that or the batteries in, and the, the, battery in dies. the system will go out. And, you know, those little tire pressure monitors, a lot of people don't see them as essential. So when they hear the price of replacing four or five sensors plus installation plus programming, they say, well, I'll just drive with light on. Mm-hmm. And that's your choice. That's fine. But you do have to remember those stems are also getting old. Right. If you've got a car that's many years old, I don't think it's a big deal on a one, you know, on a, a five or six year old car. But a lot of people do keep cars 20 years or more. Oh, yeah. And then it can become an issue. So, just something to look out for. I guess if you're not worried about tire pressure monitoring system at all, you might put regular stems back in their place. Just the system's not going to work anymore. Mm-hmm. The only problem is under the law, no shop can knowingly disable that system. Correct. So it would be illegal technically for a shop to do that, but you know who knows? Right. <laughs> you might get it done somewhere. <laughs> I see we got to take our second quick little break. We'll be right back with more in the Automotive Hour. Sir, how did you get in here? I used my grappling hook and climbed in through the window. Well, as long as you have an appointment. Ah, yes, Mr. B. Wing. Uh, why are you stressed about your job? Doc, I live in an area with a high crime rate, and part of my duty is to fight that crime. But lately, it seems like every time I turn around, someone needs my help. It's like this bright light signaling. Bat, what, I mean, B. Wayne, help us. Well, Mr. Rain, there's not much I can do in regard to your crime-fighting dilemma. But if you want some peace of mind, bring your car in once a year to AGCO for a general inspection. They'll inspect your vehicle bumper to bumper and let you know where you stand. And these guys are honest? Years ago, they advised me not to fix a minor electrical problem that I could live with because it was too expensive. They sound like good people. Okay, I've got to go. I sure wish he would use the door like a normal patient. Get your own peace of mind and schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Off the river to ride, don't mind it cause the man with the whiskers has... Hey, welcome back. Just join us the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldazan, and Mr. Brian Terry right here by my side. Between two of us, we'll try to answer any questions you may have. We appreciate you spending your Saturday morning with us. We were talking a bit uh-huh. about tires and right. stuff such as that, particularly as it pertains to flats and all. And you brought up a good point. On a limited number of vehicles, the tire pressure monitoring system, you can replace just the stem. Right. It, bol- it actually has a uh, bolt and a, a socket that it fits into on the bottom of the valve stem. It's made different. It has a, a stud on it. Mm-hmm. And you can unbolt the sensor from the stem. If the sensor's still good, then you can change just the stem. I guess in most cases, the sensor's going to probably go By bad the, before the stem does anyway. Most cases, but, but you, know, you get some. There is some, a handful that you can replace the stem on. Sure. And another point you brought up 
is that some of them where they pass through the wheel is a rubber grommet. On the bolt-in sensors, there's a little rubber grommet that actually seals the, the valve stem from the inside. And sometimes those will go bad. I've actually seen the, the little nut on the top mm-hmm. get loose. Get loose. And it'll leak a little bit, and it won't go flat instantly, but it keeps going down. And sometimes those are a devil to find. Yeah. But a water tank or a little soapy water sprayed right on the valve stem with a cap on it will usually show up. Yeah, that's one of those things. And, you know, another thing while we're on topic of losing air and stuff like that is, and again, this is one of those old things that sort of persists, the difference between plugging a tire and patching a tire. A correct patch. And all tires should be repaired with a patch put on the inside and not a plug stuck in from the outside. Mm Mm-hmm. And I know occasionally you might do that. It might work out. God bless you. You got well, lucky. I mean, if it's a necessity, you have to get this tire aired up to get off the side of the road. I understand that. Yeah. I do. But as far as just putting it in because you don't want to take it and have it fixed correctly, right. I do not like those at all. Or shops that do that because it's a reduced cost. You know, To repair a tire properly is a pretty involved procedure. Well, sure. You have to break the tire down, number one, take well, it off the rim. you got to take it off the vehicle first. Off the vehicle, Whereas off if the you, rim. if you use the, the plug-in from the outside, you don't even have to take it off the vehicle. Those right. just shove in from the outside right. with glue on them, and it's not a correct way to do it. Well, it can cause the tire to separate, which is very dangerous. It's going to ruin the tire. I don't know of any tire company that will warranty a tire that's got a plug in it. Exactly. If it's got a plug anywhere in the tire, they're probably not going to warranty the tire if you have a problem with it. And basically what those do is they seal the air from coming out, but they don't seal the water from going in. Or the chamber inside from leaking between the belts. Right. So they can come out. They're just dangerous. It's not something that should ever be used. I mean, I understand if you've got a wheelbarrow at home and you're going to be pushing around the yard and tire. A lawn tractor. Yeah. Right. Something like that. Probably a little different situation there. You don't have to take it all down and make a big mountain out of a molehill. But there are still shops out there, and you go in and you ask them to repair your flat, and that's how they're going to do it. Mm-hmm. And the way you'll know the difference, a proper flat repair if you don't have some kind of a road hazard contract or whatever, it's probably going to cost you anywhere from 30 to $60. Sure. As opposed to these, which they're going to do for $10. And they made more money at $10 than the guy who did it right made it $60. Oh, exactly, because there's a lot more service involved there. You actually have to rack the, you have to take the tire off the vehicle, break the tire off the rim, go in, and you have to clean the inside of the tire where the, the injury is. Then you drill it out. To accept the the patch, it's mm-hmm. actually a patch plug type system. It's sealed. It's got a big patch on the inside, and right in the center, there's a plug that pulls all the way through the wheel, seals the tire wound, and it seals the tire from the inside, and it also seals it all the way to the outside. Right, and that way, nothing, water or moisture, or anything can get into the belts. The air chamber is sealed with the big patch on the inside. Then the wheel has to be remounted to the rim. Then you take the assembly to the balancer, and you have to rebalance it. Right. Because and the tire was separated from the rim. And if there's a tire pressure monitoring system, you may have to You very well may have to sensor. relearn it. So it's, it's a pretty involved thing. And just those parts that you use to repair it, you know, regular patch was not a really expensive thing. But these plug patches that you use on modern tires, they can cost anywhere from 4 to $5 a piece. Sure. Depending on what size they are. As opposed to a set of plugs, which you can buy probably a bag full of them for $5. Exactly. So you're using much more expensive material, a huge amount more labor. And so it's going to be a more and more expensive process. But it is a perfect repair. Well, and it's the only proper repair. Again, we talk a lot of times about difference in price and cost. Mm -hmm. Plug may 
the price may be lower, but the cost to you may be much, much greater if it ruins a good tire. Exactly. Or if it causes an accident or if, 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 <laughs> on and on and on it goes. So sometimes the more expensive way in is the cheapest way out. Mm-hmm. And that's definitely the case there. Just talking about topics and email and stuff. I had another email earlier this week and the gentleman had a Ford truck and he said, recently it started shifting harder okay than it did before and he wanted to know what might be wrong well i wrote back and told him i said well it's the pressure in the transmission is rising and high pressure is going to cause the hard shift correct but beyond that without looking at the car because there are any number of things that can cause the pressure to rise exactly and that number of things is going to vary greatly depending on the design of the transmission well and on the older vehicles the rpms are going to be higher this time of year because it's cold the engines revved up higher to warm up faster the fluid's thicker so the first few shifts until everything levels out at a normal temperature are probably going to be harder and maybe perfectly normal for that vehicle you know the older vehicles they used to use a vacuum modulator. It was a little device on the side of the transmission. It had a vacuum line that ran up to the carburetor or it to the intake. Since the intake vacuum, because low vacuum in the intake means you're accelerating, so it would boost the pressure as the vacuum got lower. Mm-hmm. And it mechanically moved things inside the transmission, a regulator of some sort, to charge the pressure to rise. So on one of those vehicles, one of the things that was common is the diaphragm in the Modulator. modulator might go bad or the vacuum hose would break vacuum hose would come off or whatever so then it sensed low pressure so it would boost, boost the, the pressure it would start slamming into gear mm-hmm. that was a relatively easy diagnosis and a relatively easy fix sure they weren't extremely reliable so in later years they went to some type of a cable or a mechanical linkage that went to either the carburetor or the throttle body when you push the accelerator down, it sensed that motion, moved a lever on the transmission, which opened and closed the regulator, which controlled the pressure. The pressure. Uh-huh. Now, on one of these, if the grommet at the carburetor or the throttle body comes off and the rod is laying open, it's going to sense that, so it's going to make transmission slip if anything it's not gonna have enough pressure when you accelerate right i've seen it i've seen uh ford had a real bet real problem with that back in the early 90s late 80s early 90s Somewhere in there the little grommet would break off after five or six years the cable would come off the pressure would reduce in the transmission so, and it would burn up within a mile or two yeah you wouldn't really notice it so much it's just that maybe it didn't accelerate as good as it used to because it's allowing transmission to slip because as you put more pressure on it the pressure is supposed to rise to compensate, and it didn't. Mm-hmm. So it would allow the transmission to slip. And like I said, it could burn transmission up in, in, oh, in, just in a, a hurry. few miles. Yeah. Now, the opposite of that would be if the cable gets rusty or corroded or whatever, and you accelerate and it sticks in the pulled-out position. Correct. Now it's going to make the vehicle shift harder because it senses it as hot as the accelerator is on the floor, so it's going to boost the pressure to maximum. Even when it's not. That's correct. Another thing there is the lever on the side of the transmission that would move can come unbolted, fall mm-hmm. off, stick in a position. Who knows what things can happen, but this can cause the pressure to rise. Now, on all modern vehicles, it uses a number of inputs going to an electronic pressure control regulator. Now, what happens is that when the check engine light notices something's wrong with the pressure, it's going to throw a light off with a generic code, something like pressure control solenoid fault, mm-hmm. because that's all it knows. 
Now, that does not mean the solenoid is bad. No, it does not. In it fact, could. in most cases, it does not mean the solenoid is bad. Most likely, it's an input of some kind that's causing a problem. You have to have a means to go in and verify all the inputs, control it, you know, compare it to where it's supposed to be, and then if one of the inputs is wrong, you have to correct that. If all of the inputs are correct, and the next thing would be maybe the PCM is not command, it's not making the calculation properly, mm-hmm. Because it's going to look at things like the engine temperature. It's going to look at the MAP sensor to see intake manifold vacuum. Right. It's going to look at the barrel sensor to see the barometric pressure. It's going to look at the air flow meter to see how much air is going into the engine. It looks at engine RPM, and it not only engine RPM, but it's going to look at the RPM of the engine, the RPM of the torque converter, and maybe the RPM of, of the, the output, output shaft. Mm-hmm. It's going to compare all these. It's making a very complex calculation to boost the pressure to the exact right point to give you a smooth shift but still keep it right. from slipping. It's just monitoring input and output, and if there's any difference between the two, it considers that as, hey, something's slipping there's here. There's an error here. And it, it will boost the pressure up to a certain point. Well, and that brings up a whole other genre of problems. Let's say the transmission is a little bit low on fluid, so it's sucking some air. Well, mm-hmm. that is going to cause the transmission to slip. The computer is going to correspond by boosting the pressure. Sure, because all it sees is a slip. It, it can't, sees a it slip. It can't determine why it's slipping. Well, it doesn't know the fluid is low. Right. There's no way to know that. So it's going to boost the pressure, and it's probably at some point going to set a code for the pressure control regulator being well, bad. Or, and it can only go so far. It's kind of like an engine coil. Right. You, know, you can only run it for so long at this pressure before something happens to it. So the computer is going to try to protect it by turning the light on. Right. And what will happen if it starts slamming in the gear is going to break an internal component. Mm-hmm. E- eventually, I've even seen it break the transmission case. Right. Because it's not designed to shift with that much force. We'll talk more about that and a lot more other things as soon as this break is over. Ah, yes, Mr. Bigfoot. Uh, make yourself comfortable on the couch and tell me what has stressed you out. Uh, I'm just a secluded forest dweller, and I like it like that. But every now and then I get these people hunting me down. There's a TV show, jerky commercials, and now another movie. Then I worry about the hype. If they do find me, will my feet be big enough? Well, Mr. Foot, I can't really do much about these people, but I can tell you how to create some peace of mind in your life. Do like me and take your car to Agco once a year for a general inspection. They provide me an honest opinion on the maintenance and repairs I need now and in the future. They can even catch small issues that can lead to big expensive problems down the road. An Agco general inspection, huh? Oh, one more thing, Doc. Could you tell me where I can find this toilet paper? I've heard wonderful things about it. Here's Agco's number. And the name of another store that may ship some TP straight to your cave. Thanks, Doc. Get your own peace of mind and schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back to the final segment of the Automotive Hour. I'm Louis Aldazan, president of Agco Automotive. Got Mr. Brian Terry, our lead tech right here in the co-pilot seat. Hey, Twin Tools, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you may have. Just give us a call, 291-6901. Still got a few minutes left on the show. And, you know, before the break, we were talking about checking transmission fluid. You know, you mentioned that a low transmission fluid could cause a, Correct. a hard shift. And that is, it depends on what vehicle you're working on as to how the, the fluid level is actually checked in it. Entire, just a plethora of different right. methods. Right. Checking. I mean, it's not back, like the old days where you just had a dipstick you'd pull out. And even that was somewhat complicated. It was because if you look at a dipstick, a transmission dipstick, sometimes you have two different levels, but depends on which side of the stick you look at. Correct. The stick 
it has a hash mark on it where the trans where the fluid should be but it's only on one side and a lot of people would see that the fluid level was in the hash mark and it was they considered that okay but if you turn the stick over it was actually lower than the hash mark right so the lowest check on the stick is the correct one that's correct and even most vehicles you check them in park Mm -hmm. with the vehicle running correct but there are some like a honda where you don't check it running some of them you would check it in neutral Mm -hmm. so there there are all sorts of different things and ways of checking transmission fluid but like you mentioned what could happen is because the engine is running is splashing things around the splash may go up on the stick and show full however if you look at the backside, it may be low mm-hmm. the lowest reading on that stick will be the correct reading because right. the fluid cannot possibly get drop, higher drop down or or, or or go away you know it's going to be where the fluid level is it can go higher because it can be splashed on there another thing is where you would read it and it shows full at the top then there's like an air bubble or a gap and then low below that again the lowest reading is the correct, correct one. reading you can't read the splash and another thing that would really mess people up, because most driveways, which is where people would be checking mm-hmm. their fluid if they're doing it at home, are graded towards the road or towards where the, the drainage is. Yeah, you don't want the water running back into your garage or into your house. So if your car is sitting in the driveway and is a drop, then the fluid in your pan is going to be level. Mm-hmm. But if the stick is in the front of the pan, your driveway is leaning to the back, the fluid is going to run to the back of the pan. Right. And it may indicate low when it's actually full. And if the car is backed in, exactly the opposite. opposite. So it has to be on level ground both ways. In other words, it has to be level side to side, level front to back. The fluid should be at full temperature when you check it. In other words, you don't check it cold. You would check it at operating temperature check both sides of the stick and best is to put it in pull it out wipe it off do it a second time and then read both sides of the stick that's if it has a stick right that is accessible some of your ford transmissions actually have a, a short stick down on the transmission body right above the part the of pan. the part of the uh, fill plug uh-huh the, it's got like a little stick that sticks on again like kind of like a honda has a little stick made on the fill plug mm-hmm and those don't appear to have a stick even though they do right and you'd have to be underneath the vehicle the vehicle has to be level so getting under some of them were, were kind of difficult and then the, the catalytic converter was right there next to it mm-hmm. and inevitably you'd burn a, a wrist or a finger or something trying to access it i mean it wasn't a wasn't a great design but ideal it did, design it did have a, a stick where you could check it. well you almost have to have a, a lift or a rack of some sort that was level and some shops have those where it picks up from the wheels and it settles down. Ideal was like a, alignment, a drive-on a drive on alignment rack. Because uh-huh. Alignment racks are designed to be level because alignment depends on level. Correct. But if you put it on like a twin post lift, those may or may not be close to level. Mm-hmm. So if the car is leaning one way or the other, it then will throw that reading you off. can get an uh, improper reading. And that's just for the units that have a stick where you can check them. At all. A lot of your newer vehicles do not even have a dipstick They've anymore. They've eliminated the dipstick just because people were doing such a poor job of checking fluid. They were adding when they shouldn't. They were adding the wrong kinds of fluid. Mm-hmm. They were not adding when they should. They just decided to just take the stick off. And this is what some people mistakenly call a, a sealed, sealed transmission. Right. There's no such thing as a sealed transmission. They can all be gotten into. What this is, it just doesn't have a dipstick on it. So that does not influence the service on the transmission other than it's much more difficult 
to verify the fluid level. Correct. But it still has a filter in the transmission. That needs to be changed. That needs to be changed. The, the fluid, fluid still needs to be changed. Right. But in many cases, you'll hear the word, well, that's a sealed transmission. You don't have to worry about it. Well, no, that's not the case. It's still a standard transmission. They've just eliminated the dipstick on it. They've gone through a different procedure. You have to be at a certain temperature. You have to be level. There's actually a overflow hole that you take a bolt or a, a, a nut out of. And when the fluid level is at a certain temperature, it should come trickling out of that little hole. Yeah, on some models. On some models. On others, you have some sort of a dipstick you have to buy, and then you insert those in the car, and you check it with that. Mm -hmm. There's all sorts of different methods, but the point is it has to be at operating temperature. And it has to be at a certain temperature. Correct. It can't be overheated either. Exactly. So a lot of them, there's a transmission temperature sensor in the transmission that you can read with a scan tool. Correct. And you have to take a reading from that and then go in and put the amount of fluid that goes back into it. And I've had people say, well, I just caught what came out, and I measured it, and I put the exact same amount back in. Uh Wouldn't that be good enough? And the answer to that is, yes, if it was full before. Right. And they say, well, I looked around, there's no leak. Sometimes you won't see a leak. For instance, if it has a cooler line that's leaking, it may only leak when the vehicle is running. Or even only leak when it's in gear. Mm -hmm. When it's in gear, you're going down the road, and the air is blowing this fluid away, so you may not ever see a drip. You may not ever see a leak. The air is blowing all the old fluid away, and it may be a quart or two low. You service it thinking you got a problem, and you put the same amount of fluid back in, you may still be low. Right, and it was a fluid problem, fluid level problem all along. Another instance with that is where somebody went in, just inadvertently added more fluid, thinking it was low when it wasn't well so now, now it's, it's overfull overfull which can aerate the fluid it can cause fires it can cause all kind of things it can even cause the transmission to go out so something as simple as checking the fluid has just gotten to be a whole big old thing well sure the average do-it-yourselfer hasn't doesn't have the wherewithal to do it anymore yeah and you know we were talking about the high pressures and all that and again, there's not a whole lot of things, because we get this question a lot of times. They'll say, well, my check engine light came on, and it was a transmission pressure code. Should I change the solenoid? Mm-hmm. Well, it's hardly ever the solenoid. Very I mean, rarely. It could, in some instance, be, it's going to say transmission pressure control solenoid on the code. That just means the pressure's wrong. Mm-hmm. Again, unless you have a way to verify the inputs, verify the actual pressure that's there to with see if the two correspond well and then you you have to actually know what circuit you're getting into with the gauge you know you could put your gauge in the wrong circuit and you have the wrong reading and you're off on a tangent because you went into the wrong circuit well, and you have to have service data on the vehicle to know the procedure by which that particular pressure is checked because two vehicles that look the same may get checked under two different, different ways procedures some of them are going to want you to have it shift it manually into first second third gear whatever others are going to want to be certain things certain rpm certain mile per hour whatever the criteria they set that a certain engine temperature and all but the just the things that can go wrong it could be the sensor itself is bad Mm -hmm. if the sensor is bad the pressure may be perfectly normal it just doesn't know it's normal the computer itself could be bad and even though everything is perfectly right it could be getting the wrong reading Right. So the point is, it's just going to be a very involved procedure out of the hands of most do-it-yourselfers. Exactly. I see we're just about out of time. Start winding on up, get ready to get on out of here. I'd like to thank our podcasters for listening this week, every week. Give your friends and family a 
Shout, shout, and <laughs> tell them to listen. There you go. <laughs> more people start listening, the longer we can do the show. And you have everybody told one more person, that could double our listenership. In there you go. Just one week. So, <laughs> hey, preceding was an opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry. Have a great weekend.